Turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's Thanksgiving week. Can you believe it? Seems hard to believe, but it's true. I, uh, I appreciated what Amy said there about thanks living. I, I was reading this week about different things people have complained about. And, uh, you know, silly things. For example, just listen to these recent criticisms that were heard and posted online. Uh, this one person said, On my vacation to India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like curry. But wait, I mean, the, the joke is in India, every dish has curry, so what do you expect? Uh, a guest at a, at a uh, restaurant in Australia complained that his soup was too thick, but he was actually slurping gravy. <laughs> what can you do? You can't help some people, can you? Uh, at a national theme park, one woman was so angry after she ordered her ice cream because the sun was so hot that it was melting her ice cream, and she let the park know about it. You just got to eat it faster, lady. One air traveler actually complained to the airline because of all the clouds in the sky, saying it ruined her child's view. It's like, ugh. And you wonder why some people grow up to be the way they are, because they got parents the way they are. <laughs> but the reality is, aren't we all tempted to complain from time to time? Who is, who is the person who has never complained? Well, basically just Jesus, right? But we're all tempted to complain. And here's the thing. We know we shouldn't do it. You know how we know? Because when we hear other people complain, boy, we know it immediately, don't we? It grates on our nerves. It's, uh, it's something that we're like, why don't you just buck up? Or why don't you just get over it? We say things like that. But when something happens to me, oh, all of a sudden, my beef is legitimate. We, co we complain when things don't go our way. We complain when things do go our way. <laughs> we complain when our plans aren't realized, when our commands aren't obeyed, when our meals are burnt, when our efforts are ignored. We complain with a comment, with no comment, with a look, with a smile, with a note, with laughing, growling. There are a million different reasons that we complain and a million different ways that we complain. And here's the problem. They're all sin. Now, I, I want to say at the outset that I'm, I'm not saying that there's no distinction between raising a concern. I'm not even saying there's a difference. There's no distinction between a legitimate, righteous complaint and what we call a complaining spirit. There is such a thing as a <laughs> legitimate, righteous complaint. And I'm not describing that today. I'm describing, I think, what we all experience on a more day-to-day -day basis, which is just a complaining spirit. Have you ever thought what's so bad about complaining? Why, first of all, is it so bad? Uh, you know, it might be that I'm talking to somebody this morning who doesn't think complaining is all that bad. After all, if you were going to make a hierarchy of sins from Least bad to worst. Uh, where would complaining rank? 
on that. Maybe murder's at the top. Maybe uh, whatever, I want you to think of whatever you think is the worst sin, and I know there's different theologies about that, but if I say what's the worst sin, there's something that pops into your mind, right? It might be at the top for you, and maybe what's the least, what's the, wor- what's the most innocuous sin? Maybe uh, forgetting your wife's birthday. Who knows? Or Actually, that's probably near the top, right? Uh, something breaking the speed limit by one mile per hour. Maybe that's uh, the least. Well, where's complaining on the scale? Well, I don't know. It's, uh, is it really all that bad? Well, I want to argue that it is bad. And I'm going to tell you why I think it's bad. And, and you know, we, we get on to children for complaining about small things, right? About their sibling took the ball from them. Or they couldn't wear the shorts that they picked out that day because you had something else lined up for them. Or they can't watch their show. You know, Mercy didn't get to pick a show today, so she's going to throw a little hissy fit. Malachi got to pick, but she didn't get to pick. We, we get on to our children for complaining about what we perceive to be silly things. I want you to imagine, from God's perspective, what are the things that you complain about? And are they really serious? Or compared to Him, are they silly? Flat tire on the way to work. Losing your job. Discovering that your spouse has been unfaithful. Learning that your parents are getting a divorce. Being unhappy with the way somebody does something at the church. Being unhappy with the preacher. Being diagnosed with a terminal illness. There are a million different things that we can complain about. And some of them are more serious than others, right? I mean, if I learned later this week that I had cancer, stage four, I would probably feel more justified in complaining than you know, learning that I have to take the car into repair. There's different things to complain about. Y'all all remember Tim Tebow, that football player that was a Christian? I think he still is a Christian. <laughs> he would take a knee after every score to give thanksgiving to God. But he's not the only Christian player. There was a kicker for many years named Matt Stover. And after every kick, after every made kick, he would point to the heavens. There are many players that you see do that. He would point to the heavens after his made kick in thanksgiving to God. But back in 2006, he was in the Super Bowl playing for the Indianapolis Colts. And you might remember that was right after Hurricane Katrina. And the Saints happened to make the Super Bowl. It's kind of a feel-good story for them. And he missed a kick in that game, which turned out to be devastating to the Colts, and I'm sure all the fans probably wanted him cut the minute that he missed the kick. You know what he did after he missed his kick? He pointed to God and said, thank you for letting me be out here. He said, in all circumstances, I'm going to give thanks. Dr. Alexander White was a famous preacher in England. He was famous especially for his long pulpit prayers. They were almost like sermons. He always found something to thank God for 
in his sermons, even in bad times. And there was one morning that was particularly stormy, kind of like a couple of weeks ago that we had here. And a member of his congregation was sitting out there thinking, he's not going to have anything to thank God about this morning, is he? And as he began his prayer, he said, we thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. <laughs> we can always thank God for something. Amen. We all complain. We feel justified in it. But here's what I want to draw to your attention. Because everything that happens is under God's control. You know what complaining really is? It's a, that complaining is a sin against God because what we're saying is, you're not doing me right. I deserve better. We see this in the book of Numbers. I won't make you turn back and look at it, but if you are a note taker, it's Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to turn back to it so I can read a few things. But in Numbers chapter 11, the people of Israel have just had it. You know what they've had it with? They have had it with manna. <laughs> Here they are, wandering through the wilderness, trying to make their way to the promised land, and they're literally walking through a place where there is not enough food. Uh, by the estimates given of how many men are recorded that can fight in their armies, we estimate that there is about 2 million Hebrews walking through the desert. You ever tried to feed 2 million people? Where would you get the food? Well, God figured it out. He said, every morning I am going to rain down manna on the earth, and that will be your food. And they had been eating that for a while, and they just they got sick of it. You ever eaten the same? How, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass nobody. But I know people that do not like leftovers. I love leftovers. I, so we're we're going to have Thanksgiving in a couple of days. We're actually going to go up to uh, my wife's granddaddy's place in Raleigh, and her grandmama. So they're doing most of the cooking. But you know one of the things I love about Thanksgiving? Of course, I, I love the, the holiday itself. I love the fact that I always get to watch the Cowboys play, even when they stink. And I love the food. I love it. But I don't just love it on Thanksgiving afternoon. I love it Thanksgiving night. I love it Friday afternoon. I love it Friday night. I mean, look at all the things you can do with a turkey. Make sandwiches afterwards. You can, make, you can boil it and make a soup. Oh, it's just so good. And the sides always run out before the turkey. That's, what, that's the only bad thing about it. There's what I complain about. The sides run out too early. Lord, what are you doing to me? But, uh, you know, if I had to eat turkey and Thanksgiving meal every day for 40 years, breakfast, lunch, dinner, even if I am preparing it differently, honey, what are we having for lunch? Turkey sandwiches. Again? Woman, can't you do anything different? Well, that's how they felt for 40 years. It was awful, but it was God's provision, was it not? And here they are complaining, and I want to draw your attention to verse 20. In Numbers chapter 11, actually I'll go back to verse 19, God answers their prayer. He says, all right, you want something different? 
I'll give you something different. I'll give you quail to eat. Verse 19, you shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month. He says, <laughs> you thought you were com complaining about manna. Wait till you get a load of this. Until it comes out at your nostrils. That's not literally, guys. He's just figure speech, right? And becomes loathsome to you. Listen to this. Because you have rejected the Lord who was among you. He said, you have rejected the Lord. Now, up to that point, we don't see Moses saying, you are rejecting the Lord. We don't see the people of Israel saying, we are rejecting you. What do we see them doing? Simply complaining. Why? Because they were complaining about what God had given them. Do you know that in God's math, complaining equals rejection? We might never say, I reject what you are offering me, God, but when we receive something from His hand, and then we go on complaining about it, what are we really doing? I want you to think about it this way. How does it feel? Uh, you know, we might have some men that cook in here, but this is mostly for the ladies. How does it feel when you spend time preparing a meal, you put it on the table, you dish it out, you might not think you hit a home run, but you spent time on it, right? And then one of your kids, or heaven forbid, your husband or somebody else, says, I don't like that. I want something else. Oh, you know what? It chaps my head like nothing else. When I hear a kid say to their parent, I want a, a cheese sandwich or something instead of what you made for me. Ooh. Be thankful I'm not your father. Be thankful, young man, young lady. It feels not just like, oh, a rejection of the food. It feels like a rejection of you because it is in a very real sense. Did you know that every good thing that comes to you is from God? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. When you get something good, you should thank God. But did you know, even when bad things come, guess who that's from? Job chapter 2, verse 10 says, Now this is after Job has lost everything, except his wife and his life. That's the only thing he had left. He had ten kids, they all died. He had sheep, he had cattle, he had camels. Everything's gone. His, his kids were in a house. The house was knocked down by a tornado and killed them all. And I'm assuming all their kids as well. We highlight that Job lost his kids. He probably lost a bunch of grandkids that day too. Devastating. Just devastating. And his wife says, look, all you got left is your wife and your life. Just curse God. He obviously has it in for you. Curse him so he will kill you. Release yourself from this misery. And this was Job's response. He said, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? We know people. You know what? We had two uh, babies born this week. Good was received at the hand of the Lord, and we should give him thanks, right? And we do. What about the folks who deliver a baby and it's stillborn? What about the person? You know, we got people who are undergoing uh, radiation. Should we not accept only good 
Should we not accept adversity as well? What is our response when it's bad? Joseph, the son of Jacob in the Old Testament, is a fantastic example of this. You'll recall, what was he guilty of? Nothing. He was guilty of obeying his father. If anything, he was guilty of being a goody two-shoes. But last I checked, that's not a bad thing necessarily. He goes off to his brothers and they say, look at this dreamer. Let's get rid of him. And they did. They sold him into slavery. But at the end of his life, he, someone who accepted the evil in life as something good that God allowed. He said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Wow, what a testimony. Matthew Henry, the famous scholar, was once robbed by thieves, robbed of his wallet, took everything that he had. He wrote this in his diary. He said, let me be thankful. This is after he was robbed. Let me be thankful, first of all, because I was never robbed before. This is the first time. <laughs> Secondly, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. And thirdly, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because and this, is, this, one, this one hit me here. Because it was I who was robbed, not I who did the robbing. Woo! Boy, we can give thanks in every circumstance, can't we? No matter what. Good comes from God, we give Him thanks. Bad comes from God, we give Him thanks. What about chance? Do you believe in chance? Even if you do believe in chance, I don't really believe in chance. I think it all is under God's sovereign control. But even if you did believe in chance, Proverbs 16 says the lot, the dice, is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Before you even throw the dice, God knows what it's going to fall on. When we complain, you know what we're doing? We are proclaiming, we are shouting to God's face, what you have provided for me is not good enough. You owe me. When we complain, we are rejecting God's provision. And therefore, like the woman whose slaves are the meal, we're rejecting God himself. And this is, of course, a great sin. So what is the solution to a complaining spirit? As usual, the answer is faith and repentance. There is no other answer. No matter what the sin is that you're battling, the answer is always believe and repent. What should we believe? Number one, believe that God is in control. You know, I heard about one of our church members who's going in to have a test later this week on something. We don't know what that test is going to be, do we? What are we going to say when it comes back? Are we going to believe that God is in control? Or are we going to say, well, God wanted to prevent that, but He just wasn't, he wasn't strong enough? No, we don't say that, do we? No matter what happens, God is in control. Number two, believe that God is good. This is at the foundation of everything that we should believe as Christians. Man, if I didn't believe that God was in control and that God was good, I would lose my mind. When I see the injustice happening in our world right now, I would lose my mind if I thought God's not really in control. Because if God's not really in control, then who is? Chaos, the devil, who knows? Or if I believed that God really is in control and I look around at all this evil and injustice and oppression, I would have to come to the conclusion that even though God could stop it, He doesn't because He's just a jerk. 
but he's not, is he? He's good. Romans 8, 28. We all have that verse memorized, right? Uh, for all things work together for good to those who love God. It doesn't say to everybody. You have to love God and you have to be called. That, that goes for Christians. Believe that he's in control. Believe that he's good. And number three, accept that whatever happens ultimately is for your good. I, I was challenged recently with a thought. It was in a song, and the, and the song had a line in it. That it was challenging people who want to uh, question God's goodness. And the line of the song went something like this. Uh, if you could choose when your mom died, could you really choose when your mom died? In other words, let's, you know, my mother's in kind of poor health right now. I, I shouldn't say kind of. It's poor health. If I, if I could choose to put it off, to put off, I'm not saying she's close to death, but she's 71, 72? She's 71. If I could put off her death till she was 100, then the day before I assigned her death, what would I say? Well, wait a minute, it's too soon. Give me another 20 years, Lord, and then when that day comes. In other words, we can't really choose for ourselves when bad things happen because we would never choose it. We would always put it off. And the reality is that God said the wages of sin is death and we can't put it off. Therefore, we must accept whatever happens ultimately as our as for our good. Our verse today which you all have memorized, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks. Boy, that is easy to memorize and hard to practice, isn't it? In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will. We, we labor, we have anxiety. Oh, what is God's will for me? I, I can't tell you exactly what God's will for you is, but I know one thing that's God's will for you. It is that in everything, you give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. And as difficult as it may be for us to comprehend or accept that even when bad things happen to us, uh, it's for our good, I think Jesus is our greatest example. Think about the life of Jesus for a moment. If anyone deserved a good life, it was Jesus. If anyone deserved a life free from trial, free from persecution, free from rejection, it was Jesus. He, guys, he wasn't just a goody-two-shoes. <laughs> he literally never sinned. If the wages of sin is death and you've never sinned, then why are you going through all of this Jesus? And we learn the answer. He was punished more than any other person ever was because he did it on our behalf. Isaiah 52 says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God, the Father, crushed Jesus for you, for me. 
In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 and following, Peter preaching at the day of Pentecost says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Was what happened to Jesus right? Was it fair? But was it good? It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. He knew it was coming. But the night of his betrayal, do we find Jesus raging against the machine in the heavens? No. We find him in agony, yes. We find him in pain, emotional, spiritual pain. But we also find him humbly accepting his Father's will, don't we? We find him saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, when we complain, you know what we're really saying? We're saying, Jesus is not enough. Because we say all the time, if all I ever had was Jesus, if all I ever had was salvation, that would be enough, right? We say that. But then every time we complain, what we're really saying is, sorry, I didn't mean it. Jesus isn't really enough. Paul had reason to complain. In 2 Corinthians 5, we learn about this, I'm sorry, chapter 12, we learn about this thorn in the flesh that he had. We don't really know what it was. Some people think it was an eye problem. Others think it was a speech impediment. We don't know. We know that it's called a thorn in the flesh, so it seemed to be more than spiritual. It seemed to be something physical that was uh, afflicting him. We know that it was called a messenger of Satan. The word messenger is also angel. So maybe it was a demon that was physically attacking him. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And if, boy, if anybody would listen to the, uh, if God would listen to anybody, it should be Apostle Paul, right? But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made complete, perfect in your weakness. Why? You know, I didn't want to get into a whole theology of why God allows pain, but one of the reasons he allows bad things to happen and through which we should continue to give thanks is because it is through pain, it is through loss, it is through suffering that God's power is made great in our lives. What Jesus was telling Paul is, I'm enough. Because you have me. You can endure weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And this is a reason we should not complain. We have Jesus. There's that old song. I don't know if y'all have heard it. I grew up singing a song called, I like Jesus better than ice cream, and ice cream is mighty fine. I don't know if uh, y'all have heard that one. Jesus is enough. Like the manna in the wilderness, what God has provided is all that we need. And we should give thanks in it. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This poem appeared in the magazine called Christian Victory. 
O thou whose bounty fills my cup with every blessing meet, I give thee thanks for every drop, the bitter and the sweet. I praise thee for the desert road and for the riverside, for all thy goodness hath bestowed and all thy grace denied. I thank thee for both smile and frown and for the gain and loss. I praise thee for the future crown and for the present cross. I thank thee for both wings of love which stirred my worldly nest and for the stormy clouds which drove me trembling to thy breast. I bless thee for the glad increase and for the waning joy and for this strange, this settled peace which nothing can destroy. I can't think of anyone that personifies this poem better than a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. Joni was born in 1949, and in 1967, she went out with some friends to a body of water, and she dove in, and she did not realize just how shallow the water was, and she broke her neck, and she's been a quadriplegic ever since. Unable to move her neck for the last 43 years, she deals with constant pain and the frustration of being able to do for herself. In June 2010, she was diagnosed as well with malignant breast cancer. Now, put yourself in her position. What would you have said? It would be tempting to say, God, for 43 years I have served you, even though you allowed me to break my neck, even though I can't shower, even though I can't dress myself, even though I can't feed myself, isn't this enough? But that's not what she said. She said the following, I want to assure you that I am genuinely content to receive from God whatever he deems fit for me. She said, perhaps the gift, listen, <laughs> perhaps the gift of this cancer I could stop reading there, couldn't I? Perhaps the gift of this cancer and pain and quadriplegia is that it forces me to recognize my desperate, desperate need of God, and that is a good thing. Hmm. So we have a choice to make today, don't we? Every day and even right now. Perhaps... You're not saved. And I didn't spend much time talking about this. But the key phrase in that verse right there is in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ Jesus, then there is no reason. Well, there still is reason to give thanks, but it's impossible for you to do so as you ought. You must be saved. That's what in Christ Jesus means, to be converted to recognize your desperate need of salvation before God, that your sin has enveloped you, it is crushing you, and that without Christ you will go to hell for eternity. You must repent and believe the gospel. And I will say this. Unsaved people, just by existing, tell God every day, you are not enough. Jesus is not enough. I don't need him. And so, to be unsaved is the greatest ingratitude because you refuse to believe in his son, Jesus, 
who died for you. I implore you on behalf of God, if you don't know Christ, be saved today. But third, or secondly, are you a Christian? If you're in Christ, you need to believe that God is sovereign. Believe that He's good. And then when you do that, you can accept His will for you. You can give thanks in all circumstances. And that is God's will for you. Let's pray. Father, our, our honest prayer is that in Christ we would be made whole. That if there be anyone here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would repent and be gloriously, miraculously converted today. But Father, for the remainder of us that walk in Christ, we walk in the light even as you are in the light. Father, forgive us for being complaining. It's so easy. It's part of our fallen nature. And Lord knows I am talking to myself as much as anybody else. Father, help us to recognize all things, good, bad, even items that seem like chance, as being from your hand. And therefore, for our good, in Christ's name, amen. I believe we're singing Sweet Hour of Prayer. If you would rise to your feet, and we will sing together. If